3 and 1 Peter chapter 4, if you would, in your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 3, we'll start in verse 14. On April 25th, Hannibal LaGrange University in Hannibal, Missouri, hosted a speaker named Yonmi Park. By the way, if you remember Dr. Robert Mance, he's now the president of HLG. That is also Tara's alma mater. It's where Tara and I met on a blind date, and it's 30 miles north of where we grew up. It's also a spiritually dry area, so pray for them, but that, that's an area that's special to our heart. Park is a defector from North Korea. She and her mother escaped to China and then to South Korea where she was converted by missionaries. She came to America a few years ago and the press lauded her as she told harrowing stories about life in North Korea until she began to draw parallels between North Korea and what's happening here. In her speech at HLG, she said, Americans are teaching the exact same things that were taught in North Korea. People blaming the greed of white men and capitalism. I'm quoting. She said, America is becoming a mockery of the world because of our wokeness. If America fails, what is the plan? How could a country with so many amazing ideas not know what a woman is? Her advice to us was to seek truth and stand for truth. Now, we're in this series entitled Take Heart because we don't want to allow the wickedness of our day to cause us to lose heart. And some of what is happening today makes us afraid. And it would be nice to ignore it all and pretend it won't touch us, but we don't have that luxury. Friends, this is a spiritual battle. What we're seeing today is an evil supernatural movement, much of which is driven by wealthy and powerful people, but our battle is not against them. It's behind the deceiving, demonic spirits behind them. You well know that some of this is even being taught in churches today, but don't be surprised by that. 1 Timothy chapter 4 says the Spirit explicitly says that in the later times some will fall away from the faith, that's apostasy, paying attention to Deceitful spirits and the doctrine of demons. As Rod Dreher said, you may not be interested in the demonic, but the demonic is interested in you. So we can't ignore it. But we can obsess over it to the point where we give it more power over our soul than it really has. Our souls are free in Jesus Christ. Part of resisting all this means leaning into not only what is true, but what is lovely. God's word, church, the fellowship that we enjoy this morning, the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us, prayer, the oneness of marriage, the blessing and the innocence of little children who many of you are going to minister to this week. We also don't have the luxury to ignore this because of Jesus' command to love our neighbor as ourselves. So for the sake of ourself, our posterity, our children coming behind us, and our neighbor, there are times we have to take righteous stands against evil. We cannot be silent. And you may say, I can't change the country. No one's asking you to. You might change your little corner of it, though. The famous Martin Niemöller quote applies here. He was a Lutheran pastor in Nazi Germany, and most of you have heard this. He said, first they came for the communist, and I did not speak out because I wasn't a communist. 
Then they came for the socialist, and I did not speak out because I wasn't a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionist. I didn't speak out because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. Now, when we speak out, there are many, even some evangelicals that say, well, we're becoming culture warriors. And we should only be proclaiming Jesus and not fighting the culture. That flies in the face of the biblical command to stand against injustice. And there's a realism we need to recognize. If at some point we don't stand for the freedoms we have today, our ability to proclaim Jesus will be greatly hindered tomorrow. Five years ago, I was greatly concerned about Christians conflating politics with Christianity. There was way too much of it. Now I'm astonished how far the pendulum has swung the other way. And there's almost a naivete that says, we'll just stay out of it. They can have their fight and we'll just preach Jesus no matter what happens. But throughout history, countries change faster than we might realize. Now, I realize, what I'm going to say next, I realize that when I say things in a sermon, I'm going to get fact-checked, and that's a good thing, by the way, so fact-check this. As recently as 1940, Korea and Pyongyang in particular had many Christians. 25% to 30% of the Christians in Pyongyang went to Bible-believing churches. At that time, Pyongyang was called the Jerusalem of the East. By the mid-50s, 15 years later, Churches were forcibly closed. Church leaders who stayed in the North after the Korean War were put to death under the guise of being American spies. I'm not trying to preach fear. It's the exact opposite. I believe this to be the most important sermon I'm preaching in this series because we need to gain courage to face the challenges of what is right on our doorstep. These aren't things that are just going to happen in New York and Chicago and they're not going to come here. They're here. And we can navigate the future by God's power and grace. I promise you that. But we want to become courageous in the face of wickedness. And again, if that statement creates fear, it's evidence we need courage. And I want to say something else to you before we go on. I've said this in other sermons, but I need to say it here. Much of what I have preached in this series has come out of my own weakness. If I have one finger pointed at you, there's three back at me. We desperately need the leadership and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because we're being told that violent riots are peaceful, yet truth is hate speech. I'm going to get done with the bad news here in a minute, but we need to recognize this. The term white supremacist is now being used, which is nothing more than something to energize people to vote, yet it is a very dangerous tactic. When any religious or ethnic group is demonized, it never ends well. That's the same with the term Christian nationalists, which means we intend to take over the country and impose our values. Folks, I left my wallet on top of a gas pump at Fast Tracks two weeks ago. I mean, taking over the country is not on my to-do list yet. <laughs> yet words like bigot and racist and homophobe and transphobe are aimed at us, and we're told we not only have to accept evil, we have to affirm what the Bible calls evil. 
So we need what can only be had through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is finding courage when wickedness is growing. Let's read these two passages of Scripture. I think they're very instructive to us. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, Peter said, But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. And then over in chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. Just two simple points this morning. One is this, evaluating persecution. These believers were facing the pressure and persecution of a growing wickedness. In what was probably just a few months after this letter, Rome would burn, the Roman Emperor Nero would blame Christians, and persecution would break out sporadically across the Roman Empire. So in verse 14, Peter wrote, Even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Righteousness is a key word. Believers are not always persecuted for the exclusivity of the gospel. They're persecuted for the ethics of the gospel. I've told this next story, I think, in 2008, but forgive me if any of you remember this, and I think I told part of it another time, but I can't think of anything else to illustrate this better than this. I had been saved a little over a year when on July 25th, 1985, anybody by chance remember that date? Probably not. The actor Rock Hudson announced he was dying from a new disease called AIDS. And no one at that time was 100% sure how infectious it was. So a group of so-called citizens in the little town we lived in brought in a guru from the University of Missouri-Columbia. Not a literal guru, just someone who knew. And a meeting was held at the Presbyterian Church in town, and I was invited. Now, long backstory there, too long to tell, but they invited me to use me. I was too naive to realize that I worked for the local newspaper, so they thought they could come in and co-op me and I would help their cause. By the way, what was their cause? As the meeting unfolded, they began to get more and more worked up, but they had yet to get to the point, and eventually the point started to become clear, but no one had said it yet. They even talked about how I could help as if I wasn't even in the room. Someone finally brought the point of the meeting up, and it was this. Even though the religious and conservative people in town will object, we have to start passing out condoms through the public school. That was a solution. Well, I was sitting in the very back of this little small room, and in due turn, I made a brief comment opposing it. To this day, I can see the snarling, hate-filled faces of those people who turned around to hurl insults at me and gnash their teeth at me. 
there were six or seven of them, including a pastor, by the way, who were letting me have it. It was instant chaos. I was so surprised. I'm not going to fall through here, I don't think. I was so surprised I had my back, you know, a chair near a wall. I just leaned my chair back against the wall, and it just, I was shocked at what was happening. The man from the University of Missouri was up in the front of the room. He's waving his arms, trying to restore order. The only other person who agreed with me in the room was the superintendent, who was not a believer, but he had the guts to say he didn't believe it. Now, no one, of course, wanted to talk to me afterward, but about five or six of them had him pinned in a little corner, and I thought, man, I he's, they're hanging him out to dry. So I just walked over to see what would happen, and when I walked over, it was like Moses parting the Red Sea. I mean, they just took off. He thanked me later for rescuing him. But it was an ugly evening, and when I got home, I was pretty shaky about the whole thing. I mean, I'm a brand-new believer. I, why did they detonate on me? God is so kind. I picked up my Bible where I had left off reading, and in God's kind providence, it was this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. I shed tears because that's exactly what happened. Now, that wasn't exactly massive persecution, was it? It was actually kind of baby stuff. But baby stuff is kind of massive to a baby Christian. Verse 14, if you suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. 1 Peter chapter 4 gives us insight into that verse. So look at 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12. It says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing. So number one, persecution comes to test the validity of our faith. It's been well said by many that a faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted. If being yelled at by lost people caused me to fall away, that would not have been a saving faith. So it's for our testing. But secondly, keep reading in verse 12. He says, don't be surprised as though some strange thing were happening. Persecution for righteousness is a road that has been traveled by many. Jesus Christ our Lord, prophets before him, apostles after him, martyrs young and old, known and unknown. So in verse 13, Peter said, to the degree you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. But how can you and I share in the sufferings of Christ? Jesus suffered the wrath of God for the sin of man. We can't do that. Here's how we can enter into his sufferings. Jesus suffered for doing the will of the Father we share in that when we suffer for doing, believing, speaking, and living the will of the Father. To whatever degree you suffer for doing His will, you enter into Jesus' suffering. So look at verse 14. Peter said, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. When you're persecuted, you gain a future reward, but verse 14 is in the present tense. So keep reading in verse 14. He said, if you're reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed because 
the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And I did a lot of reading about that verse. The Holy Spirit rests on a persecuted believer in a supernatural way. You'll notice the word spirit is capitalized in your translation. It's referring to the Holy Spirit. The phrase spirit of glory points us back to the Shekinah glory of God that dwelt in the tabernacle and the temple. And that word Shekinah is a transliteration of a Hebrew word that means the one who dwells. So the Hebrews had a supernatural pillar of cloud by day, and they had a pillar of fire by night, dwelling with them, living with them, protecting and directing them. This was the same Shekinah glory cloud that descended on Solomon's temple so powerfully, the priest couldn't minister. So Peter is telling those people, and he's telling us that his presence, his glory, rests on a persecuted believer. I believe this is God giving people supernatural strength beyond normal human endurance. Warren Wiersbe said, this explains how martyrs could sing praises to God while bound in the midst of blazing fires. It explains how persecuted Christians can go to prison without, uh, excuse me, can go to prison or death without complaining or resisting their captors. William Tyndale was strangled to death for trying to put a Bible in the hands of the common man. This explains how his last words were, Lord, open the eyes of the king of England. Three years later, that king published that Bible. It explains how John Huss, H-U-S, it's actually, it should be J-A-N-H-U-S, but I can't pronounce that <laughs> properly. So we call him John Huss, we Englishize it or Anglicize it. It explains how he was burned at the stake singing, Christ, thou son of the living God, have mercy on me. It explains how Stephen in Acts chapter 7 was stoned to death saying, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. So we need to evaluate persecution. In the long run, it's a blessing, and Christians are always playing the long game. So number one, evaluating persecution. Number two, defeating fear. In chapter 3, verse 14, Peter said, Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Now, if that's in capital or bold letters in your Bible, it's because it's a quotation from the Old Testament. It comes from Isaiah 8. The king of Judah there was being threatened with an invasion by the Assyrian army. The Assyrians were unspeakably cruel, one of the most feared armies in the history of the world. They would cut up opposition's leaders while they were still alive. They would take... Uh, some of their victims, they would stab them with a spear, lift them up, and then go into the next battle with these men hanging on a spear. So the king of Judah wanted to make a treaty with Israel and Syria for protection. God said, no, do not be afraid or intimidated. Trust in me. I think that would be a tall order to trust God if the Assyrian army was, Assyrian army was coming after me. But Peter used that context to tell these powerless people, do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. The fear of man is part of the human condition. So how do we overcome that? Well, many just try distraction, just ignore what's happening. Others try detachment. I'm just going to get away and let everything burn. But God wants us to make a difference in our corner of the world. 
And I'm going to say to all of you that this church needs your spiritual gifts, your fellowship, your energy, and your talent. And you need ours. If you're watching this online and you don't have a church, come on, we need you. If everyone who claimed Jesus was active in a local Bible preaching church, I believe this country would be completely changed. We can't be distracted. We can't be detached. What's the answer? Look at verse 15. It's the key to the Christian life. In contrast to being fearful and intimidated, Peter said, sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. What a joyous command. Sanctify, which means to set Jesus apart and above anything and everyone else in this world. Lord, that means master. He owns every aspect of and every decision in our life. And then heart, that's the intersection of the mind, emotion, and will. He is speaking of the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. And friends, when that is settled, all other issues are settled. It makes most decisions gloriously simple. And when Jesus is genuinely enthroned in our life, intimidation and fear tend to melt away. And I want to demonstrate this to you. Fear comes when man takes the rightful place of God on the throne of the human heart. Now this happened in the Garden of Eden. God said, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil for you will surely die. But Adam and Eve had a free will. There can be no love without free will. Otherwise it's coercion. So they had a free will to love and enthrone God or love and enthrone self. Eve decided she knew better than God. She ate and gave to Adam, and he ate also. And in so doing, they enthroned self. And what was the immediate consequence in Genesis chapter 3? They hid from God. They were afraid of him. Man today has deified self. For example, man wants to determine the beginning of life. What children should live, what children should die. Man decides, not God. Man wants to define marriage. God said a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two should become one flesh. But now man is deity, so he can define marriage. And he defines it on the basis of how he feels. Because deified man must have his feelings validated. So man also wants to define gender. God made us male and female, but now man is deity, so he decides. And today, troubled people are affirmed in life-altering decisions, and vulnerable kids are coerced into permanent mutilations, and families are divided, and so is a nation over that very subject. Man wants to define the beginning of life, marriage, gender, and man wants to define the family. No social construct in the history of the world creates more human thriving, more blessing to us than the nuclear family. A Jesus-loving father and mother experiencing oneness in marriage, happy children who benefit from that stable home. That's God's brilliant, wise design. But now man is deity, so he's redefined the family according to his will, and the results are devastating. Deified man determines family, and deified man even wants to decide his death. And euthanasia is on the rise. Canada is off to the races on this. 
this world has drunk deeply of the satanic lie, you will be like God. When you and I fully and finally reject that lie, we find the courage to stand for righteousness. And why is that? It's because Jesus is not Lord in a particular area of your life than either you are or someone else is. And anything you can't control will make you afraid. What if my kids don't follow Jesus? What if my health fails? What if my spouse dies? What if my investments go south? What if we're sorely persecuted? What if America falls apart? If I'm in control, I'm afraid these things will fail. God has made us stewards of many things, but a steward is not an owner. We're called to practice good stewardship, but we bow under his lordship. If I'm in control, I'm going to tightly grip everything I have. If Jesus is in control, I can hand it over to him and relax. If I'm in control, I'm going to squeeze what I have so I don't lose it. If Jesus is in control, I can hold on loosely to everything. But I'm afraid I'll lose my kids. Man, they're not yours. God entrusted them to you for a short time, but that's it. Well, if I stood for righteousness, I, I might lose my job. God gave you that job as provision. But he'll give you something else for provision. I'm afraid I'll lose my friends. Stand up and speak out for righteousness, and you'll find out who they really are. And I'll tell you who they are. They're the ones standing with you as you suffer, and they're right here right now. Well, I'm afraid I'll lose my money. Leverage it for the kingdom now because you can't bring it along. What if my health goes bad? Well, your body is a stewardship. Manage it well. But remember, Jesus is in control. And then the greatest fear that we have, I'm afraid I'll lose my life. You will. Jesus determines the day of your death, not man. And his lordship means we love him we serve him, we rest in his grace, but we keep going until we cross the finish line, and I want to hit the tape running. Jesus' lordship means we accept all that we have from him as a temporary stewardship. And you find that when Jesus is Lord, you suddenly have this courageous character you didn't have before. When he is Lord, you can say no when your peers say yes. When he is Lord, you can talk to someone about Jesus instead of being afraid. That's one of the biggest fears we have. And the most difficult thing about sharing Christ is getting the subject on the table. Once you get the subject on the table, the ball rolls downhill. And if somebody doesn't what wants that conversation to stop, they'll tell you to stop and stop. When Jesus is Lord, men, I want you to hear me. When Jesus is Lord... You can look another man in the eye and say, I love Jesus and I'm not ashamed of him. And when Jesus is Lord, his smile is far greater treasure than the affirmation of millions. And when Jesus is Lord, man can threaten you. They can kill your body, but they cannot harm your soul. So what I want us to do right now, <clears throat> excuse me, is to go to the Lord in prayer. 
I want us to just silently pray. I want you to pray silently. And here's the challenge. I want you to surrender yourself to Jesus afresh and anew this morning. And as you pray, what areas of your life need to be fully given over to him? Name them as you pray. Do business with God and he'll do business with you. And ask him to give you courage to do these things and courage as wickedness is growing. So let's pray. I'm going to give you time to pray individually and then I'll close us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.